Thanks, Carol, for those readings and great introductions as well. Um, welcome, everyone. Welcome uh, to all of you, but particularly the mothers and, and the spiritual mums amongst us. It's a great day to celebrate uh, our mums. Um, and I hope if you're a woman, you are celebrated today. And I hope you get to, if you're not a woman, uh, celebrate the women in your life because they do deserve it. They actually do deserve it. Um, nothing against dads, but mums do uh, deserve being celebrated. Um, I tell my kids... Uh, that they've got the greatest mum, because I've seen what it's like for her to be their mum. Uh, just think about childbirth alone. I've, I don't think a kid has got any idea of what their mum goes through to bring them into the world, do they? Well, I certainly didn't, and I don't think I did until I witnessed it. Now I've witnessed it three times, and that's enough. <laughs> and they really need to appreciate their mum. I think we all need to appreciate our mum's um, Childbirth alone, really. As a kid, you just rock around thinking, you know, mum and dad, babies come along. But no, no, no. There's a lot more to it, a lot more on the mum's side, and we need to appreciate them. For an expectant mother, you know, nine months is a long time to be uncomfortable, right? And then at the end, to go through pain, and then to go through pain, real pain, and then finally, joy. This moment where she gets to hold her child for the first time. A beautiful, precious moment. And so we celebrate mums, and that's a wonderful thing. And we think about the joy of being a mother, because today we are thinking about joy. Mothers know that joy of holding that child in a precious, unique way. And we're thinking about that topic as we continue to look at the fruits of the Spirit this morning. Now, philosopher, scientist, Blaise Pascal, you might have heard of him before, a famous guy, he says this, and it's been quoted before, no doubt, but let me read it for you. It says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended from different views. We're thinking about joy, we're thinking about happiness. And according to Pascal, no matter who you are of what you've done, you've done it at some level for the goal of your own happiness. It makes sense, I guess. We all want to be happy. We all want more joy. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't say they want more joy in their life? I want to be more joyful. I think most of us would say that. And most of us want more joy in our lives. And that's a good thing because, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. It's the second of the listed fruit. Joy is a part of the character of that God grows in us, works to produce in the lives of believers. And we're called to be joyful. But I think at one level, joy is also quite perplexing because we know the experience of joy, but it feels so elusive sometimes, so hard to pin down and so temporary. And then we read Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, how do I do that? How do I rejoice in the Lord always? Is that an action I need to perform, a, a state of mind I need to enter? How do I do that? And Paul, you said, always, always? How does that even work? Well, to get to the bottom of that, that statement that Paul says, we're going to ask a few questions. We need to get to the bottom of this. What is the source of our joy? We're going to think about that. When we do find joy, what is the real power of joy for our lives? And then lastly, how do we put joy into practice? There are the three things we'll be covering together. Now, as I dive into this, these questions, I want to share with you an image that a friend once shared with me, and I feel I find it's actually quite helpful to think about 
joy and happiness in the Christian life. And the image is this. Imagine you're on a boat in the ocean and there's three things you notice. One is the spray, the ocean spray in your face. One is the rolling waves that are around you. And then there's the vast expanse of the ocean below you and everywhere around you. And you know, the short-lived joys, short-lived joys in our life, lives, they're like the ocean spray. It's a mist that comes and it goes, and it can be refreshing. The temporary things like a good meal, like a good movie, like going out, like seeing a sporting game, like winning a sporting game, those types of things, which are good. But then there's the waves of life that roll up and down. The, the longer periods of joy, but also sadness, despair, a season of good health, a season of many hard health issues, a great job for a period, or maybe a really difficult job, a great relationship, or maybe difficult relationships. They're the waves of life. And then he said, then there's the vast, deep ocean. Deep and still, despite everything that's going on around you. Now that deep ocean is the joy that the Bible speaks about. It's the lasting joy that we're called to embrace. So with that image in our minds, let's keep thinking about the source of our joy. Because Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 4, keep Philippians open if you've got a Bible. We're going to be jumping around a little bit, but... um. Philippians is a good place to be right now. Philippians 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Where's our rejoicing to be? In the Lord. Here's the point. Real joy is anchored to the truth of what God has done for you in Christ. The joy is a response to something. It's, it's an emotional response. It's a reaction to a reality. So we're going to dive into the Old Testament, have a look at joy for a moment. We'd see a bunch of things, but we'd see this, that joy is a response. Joy is anchored to the work of God or the presence of God in the lives of his people. Let me show you a few quick examples. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now, in 2 Chronicles, um, a big significant event in the life of Israel's history has just taken place. The construction of the great temple and all the celebration and activities that have been ha- happening around that. And it ends after chapters and chapters of uh, the people giving thanks. And it says this in verse 10, Joyful and glad in heart that people leave. They're glad in heart for the good things that the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for the people of Israel. They all leave this, the, the part this gathering joyful to what God has done for them. 2 Chronicles 7, a significant moment in the life of God's people anchored in the reality of what God has done for them in that moment. Now, if we were to dive into the Psalms, we can go anywhere in the Psalms, and we're not going to have to go too far to find the Psalms celebrating the character of their God and King for His justice and mercy. See, their joy is anchored to who their God is. And then the passage we just read, Isaiah 35, a picture of future hope future hope of of Israel returning to the land and more than that, the salvation of Israel, rejoicing in God's salvation. And verse 10, as we had it read, the people of God enter God's city, says this, they will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. A few examples of joy that is anchored 
in the character of God and in the work of God. But then if we move to the New Testament, we love to be, being in the New Testament, and the very beginning of the New Testament, Luke 2, the angels deliver a message. We often speak about this passage at Christmas. Do you know what they say? Angels to shepherds, they say this, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Great joy for all people. Why? Because the arrival of the promised Messiah Jesus is being announced. Real joy is anchored in the truth of what God has done for you in Christ. And at the heart of that, the heart of Christian joy is historically grounded in the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's why the angel's declaration of Luke, in Luke, Luke 2 is of good news for all people in all time. So as Christians, our joy, it's not arbitrary. It's not self-generated, like we need to muster up joy. No, it's anchored in history. It's anchored in Jesus. So if we were to return to that image, see, our joy in God, it's not the spray of the sea in our faces, the ocean mist that refreshes for a moment. It's the deep anchor in a vast ocean. You know, I think happiness in our world, it's just the opposite to that, isn't it? Happiness is such a surface experience. It's the experiences we have or it's about finding strategies to control our circumstances. To get mastery over our circumstances so that we feel like we're in control. So that we feel like we're a boat on a tranquil lake, not in a wavy ocean. And as good as that is, control, peace, presence of mind, it's all surface strategies. It's all surface stuff. Now, the Christian joy is based on Jesus, the deep anchor of our souls. So if you're here today and you don't know that Savior, you don't know Jesus, I'm really glad you're here. But let me just say this to you. Lasting joy is found in Jesus. That's the truth of it. And we'd love you to connect you to, to him more than anything else, to help you find out more about him. Tony mentioned Christian Explored. Great course. Explore who Jesus is. He's the source of our joy. Because until you know the mercy and the grace and the love of God for you in Jesus, you won't really know that lasting joy of the God who created you. See, the source of our joy, it's anchored to Jesus. Now, what about the power the power of, of our joy. What, what is this source of joy? How does that affect our lives? What good is that for us? Well, here's an extract from a mother's blog. I don't often read mother's blogs, but I did a bit of research. I actually felt like I was intruding to a space I shouldn't be. But um, anyway, this is, this is what I, I found. And it was it is an article titled, Just One of Those Days. And mothers, I'm sure uh, it might bring back memories for you. Or for some of you, two, two real memories. But this, is, this is what she says, the author of this, this article. She said, The children, children are refusing to nap again. You've cut a hundred grapes into fours, folded a dozen loads of laundry, bring back memories, so many little clothes, and all you want to do is take a hot shower and cry. No one tells you how hard being a mum will be. You had absolutely no clue until you're in the trenches, knee-deep in smelly nappies, clothes, dishes piling up around you. You have so much to do, so much to get done, but you're frozen. Where do you start? The children are cranky, flailing on the floor because you told them they couldn't have dessert and it's breakfast. You're tired, mentally tired. You run to the bathroom to take a breath. 
but no little hands clutching at the door. Mummy, mummy, mummy. You don't get a break. No, you can't even use a bathroom in peace without an audience. And then even at night when you're asleep, you're still on call. At any moment, a child could wake up needing you, a scary dream, puking, a wet bed. What will it be? You lie there waiting for it. Or worse, you lie awake at night thinking about all the things that went wrong that day, but how you're not being the best mum you could be. She goes on. But we get it, right? We get what she's saying. One of those days, that's in the eyes of a mother trying to cope with the complexity of her life. It's pretty intense. If you're a mum, you've probably had one of those days. In fact, you've probably had a hundred of those days. And for half of all the men here, thank you. We don't really know what, what it's like. Maybe it's not been one of those days exactly like that. Maybe it's not. You don't have to be a mother to have a hard day, do you? Maybe it's been longer for you of hard days. Maybe it's been weeks or months or a whole season of life that feels really, really hard. A season of life where it's like wave after wave is crashing over you. And the question we're asking right now is, what help is knowing this anchor, this source of our joy, Jesus? What help is having Jesus in all of this? So as Paul writes to the Philippian church, he does it. it. Where is he? He's actually in jail. He's in a jail cell. But he writes with such joy and such confidence because his joy is anchored to God. His joy is anchored in bringing Jesus glory. So even though he's suffering, and they are too, the Philippians aren't having a great time, he reminds them in chapter 1, you might want to turn to it, turn with me to chapter 1 in Philippians, a few pages back. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, let me read. He says, The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision, the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and I hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by my life or my death. What's Paul's circumstances? He's chained. He's being slandered. He's suffering. He's in pain. And yet he has a joyful confidence in God. And what's his concern? Did you catch his concern? That he wouldn't be ashamed of Christ. That's what he cares about. The name and the glory of Christ. And he goes on, verse 21. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. And I'm to go on living in the body. It will mean a fruitful labor for me. What should I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better. That's better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I stay, he says, that I remain. See, if Paul had the choice, he knows what's better. He doesn't want to be here. He would like to be in glory with Jesus. To live in pain and and suffering in life? No, No thanks. But he knows what would glorify Christ is to strengthen his people. Paul's joy is in the work of God. Paul's joy is seeing Christ glorified. Paul's joy is anchored. And he says, convinced of this, I know I'll remain. I'll continue with all of you for your progress and for your joy in the faith. 
so that through my being with you, again, in your boasting in Christ, will abound on account of me. Paul's, Paul's a man captivated, isn't he? I want the joy he's got. I want it in the abundance he seems to have it. He's captivated by the purposes of God, by the joy of God, and it drives him to see Christ glorified. The power of joy in Christ is that it can't be taken away. There's not a circumstance that can take Paul's joy. So Jesus doesn't promise us lives that'll be easy, lives like a boat on a tranquil lake. And actually he says, you'll have struggles in this life. You'll have persecutions in this life. But he says, come to me because I'll be with you in every storm. I'll be with you in every wave of life that crashes over you because you'll be anchored to me. See, the anchored boat, it still gets hit with every wave, but it's not going anywhere because it's anchored. Thursday, um, I was sitting at my desk thinking about um, joy and kind of trying to think about how does this, uh, this reality that joy is an emotion that's based on realities outside of us play into our lives. And I was, I'm trying to wrestle with that logically. I had a text from my mum uh, that my grand was in hospital uh, with an infection. Later that afternoon, I got another text saying, actually, it's really serious. So I called my mum. Um, and found out then that actually, from what seemed like a small infection, she was um, being transferred to palliative care. And to hear that news, it's, it's just like a blanket of, uh, of sorrow comes upon you. And suddenly from, from logical considering of joy to the reality of a, a dark sorrow that just envelops you. You might know these moments for yourself, these moments that change everything. Circumstances flip on you. And in an instant, it feels like the light can't penetrate into your life anymore. If, if lasting joy is an inner emotional response of the reality of what Jesus has done for me, then how, how do I have joy in that when life is really, really difficult? How do you have joy in that with whatever you're going through or will go through? I got to see my grandma on Thursday and then Friday again, Friday evening, and to say goodbye to her. So life was, it was fading away from her and her mind was wandering in and out of consciousness. And I was able to read these words from 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know what you say to someone that you love that's, that's dying, but I decided to read these words and I want to share them with you. Because Paul's talking about the hope of the resurrection. And that's a hope we all have if we have hope in Jesus. And he says this, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. He says, listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. But the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. And the mortal with immortality. When the perishable which has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Verse 56. The sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, for he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. And then I said to my grandma, unsure if she could hear me, as she rested. I said, you're going to be with Jesus soon, Grant. And then she said to me, she said, I will. With such certainty, with such certainty, her eyes were closed and she was struggling to breathe. I didn't even know she could hear me. And she said, I will. And her, her words reminded me, right, of this reality, that the power of our joy is that in the midst of suffering, the only joy and comfort we can hold on to is the comfort of Christ. She had her anchor in Christ, the only sure and steady anchor. And so my question for you is, do you know the joy that death can't take away? Do you know that joy? It's the only lasting joy. A joy strong enough that even when you're persecuted, even when you're dealing with cancer, when your life is a wreck, when you've got broken relationships all around you, maybe when you're grieving the loss of relationships on a day like today, the absence of relationships that you'd long to have but you don't. In a Christian joy, it's not based on the absence of suffering of hard things but or on the presence of favourable circumstances, but on Jesus and he's enough. He's enough. Lastly, let's think about the practice of joy. How do we live in this then? If Christ is the source, if the power is that our circumstances cannot take our joy, how do we live this? Because I want more joy in my life, more joy of Christ in my life, don't you? And it's a great comfort to consider that we're in a series, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Not the fruits of our effort, the fruits of God's Spirit, the fruit of God's Spirit working in us. Last week, Seb gave us that pitch, that illustration, I don't know if you remember it, but it's stuck in my mind, of that man tumbling down the escalator, right? Do you remember that? You know, fumbling, falling down the escalator, escalator's going up, and, and this guy's, I can picture it, he didn't even show me a picture, but it was such a great image. It sounds actually really painful, like escalators, they're like big metal, right? Like that's little gashes in the leg. But the point is, while he's falling, he's being raised up, he's still going up. Images that God is working in us, the escalator keeps moving, although we stumble. But Galatians 5.25 also reminds us, where we get the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, that we have a part to play. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That is, we are to actively pursue our growing into spiritual maturity by the things we do, by the things we don't do. So how can we do that when it comes to joy? I'll say two things. The first is pay attention. We need to pay attention to the things that will erode our joy in Christ. Two categories for you. Joy robbers and joy replacements. Let's think about joy robbers because Philippians 4, which we had read for us, speaks of some actually, some of these joy robbers. And Paul speaks to a specific situation, two women that he cares deeply for, Euodia and Syntyche. And he pleads with them to have the same mind. 
See, one of the biggest joy robbers in Christian community, I think, is when we can't get along, is when we fight and our divisions and pride and criticism creep into our relationships. Now, we don't have the detail. We don't know what it was for these women. But we know that ultimately it's unhealthy conflict and it's impacting their joy and their relationship and their unity. God has made us different, right? Different, different preferences, different things we enjoy, different, which is different. We communicate differently. But we're to have the same mind, even though we are different people. And I think it's so silly. We've got to be on guard against this, that we don't let small things get in the way of our unity. Small things like what color the carpet is, or what time the meeting should be. You know, Satan loves it when we fight over small things. He thinks, how easy is this? He wants to take our joy from Christ. He wants us to to not think about the glory of Christ, but to bicker over small things. We can't make his job easier for him. We need to have relationships characterized by last week, love. A you, not I attitude. That's one of the joy robbers. Division. Conflict. The second thing that can erode our joy is joy replacements. Here's the question. What tends to shift your joy away from Christ, maybe from the reality of who God is and what he's done for you? So what lesser things capture you? John Stott, famous Christian pastor, English pastor from last century, uh, once told the story of a young man who found $5 on the street, $5 note on the street, And he said, from that time on, he never lifted his eyes when he went walking. In the course of his years, Stott says, he accumulated 29,500 buttons, 54,172 pins. You know, there's so many pins on the ground. $12, a bent back, and a miserable disposition. Then Stott says, think about what he lost. He could not see the radiance of the sunlight the sheen of the stars, the smile of the faces on the faces of his friends or the blossoms in springtime. For his eyes were in the gutter. What a tragedy it would be for us to live like this man when it comes to our joy. With our head down in the activity and the busyness of our life. With lesser joys and projects and events. But rarely reflecting on the deep reality of who Christ is and what he has won for us, what he has done for us. Where are you tempted to find your joy outside of Christ? I think that's a searching question and one that's worth us thinking about. It's a big question. That's joy replacements. They're the things that erode our joy. But how do we activate, how do we cultivate joy in our lives, in our gatherings? Because I need you to help me. And you need me to help you to stir joy in our lives, stir joy in the hope we have in Jesus. Here's what I want to say, that we need to remember, we need to celebrate, and we need to anticipate the goodness of God in Christ to us. Firstly, we need to remember, we need to recall the goodness of God in our own lives and share the stories of what God has done with each other. Now, we looked at Psalms, I think it was last, last year, yeah, last year. And one of the Psalms we looked at was Psalm 107. And I love this line in Psalm 107. The psalmist says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. What a wonderful phrase. That's us, the redeemed of the Lord. And we need to tell our stories to each other, 
to stir joy in their deep realities of, of what God has done for us, to proclaim the story of God's salvation in your life. So how about this morning? Why don't you, when you're speaking to someone, ask them about their story. Ask them how God has worked in their life. We need to stir deep joy by sharing our lives together. Second, we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate God's goodness to give expression to our joy, don't we? To sing, to dance, to share, to shout, to praise. Make time and space for celebration. And lastly, to anticipate. What are we anticipating? A final day when our joy will be complete. And you know what? We do all these things together. A friend of mine, he often asks me this simple question, and it's so helpful when he does. He says, Simeon, what's been bringing you joy recently? That's a helpful question because... You know, I think I'm tempted to, like that guy who found five bucks and just kept looking down, to live my life with my head down in the ground. But that kind of question causes me to reflect on where is my joy? Where should it be? What is bringing me joy? The goodness of God in my life. Let me finish with a very short parable that Jesus tells him in Matthew 13. It's one verse. How short is that? Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he sold all he had and he bought that field. Brothers and sisters, that's us. We've found the greatest treasure in Christ. The greatest joy. Philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, he said that one of the reasons he rejected Christianity is that, is what he says, I never saw the members of my father's church enjoying themselves. How tragic is that? How tragic is that? Wouldn't it be great if we as a church were known for our joy? That we were a place where the stories of God's goodness overflowed on our lips, where our hearts of thankfulness overflowed in everything we did. Let me pray that we'd be a people like that. Father in heaven, We thank you for your work in calling us, in redeeming us by your Son. Help us to rejoice in our salvation, to cling to our sure and steady hope and anchor Jesus, and to be a people who remember your goodness, who celebrate your goodness, and who anticipate your return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.